Mac Power Users, episode 414, MPU Plus, recorded on January 17th, 2018. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with my pal, David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Katie Floyd. How are you today? I'm well. I'm well. It feels like it's been a while since we've done this. Yeah, it does. It's, it's good to be back in the saddle. Yeah, but it was really just last week. According to the podcast, yes, it was just last week. <laughs> it was just last week. Uh, so um, we've decided, you know, New Year's resolutions and all, doing a, a little bit of a different format change for, for this show. We used to call it the feedback show. It, it is kind of still the feedback show. We, we've kind of taken to call it uh, MPU Plus for, for lack of a better name. Um, but we're doing something a little bit differently because we want to have the opportunity to talk a little bit about just – miscellaneous stuff that's on our mind that doesn't really fit anywhere else. Yeah. The the problem is Katie and I have some subjects we want to cover, but they don't require a whole new show or we've got so many shows already scheduled that it doesn't make sense to, to bump everything. And uh, we got some stuff we need to get off our chest technology wise. So, uh, <laughs> so this is our chance, right? Right, right, right. So we're, we're going to try to, each of us pick one or depending, maybe if they're short, a few topics. I have three. I, I saw that. Um, <laughs> you, you realize this is not an entire show on what's on David's mind, right? There's a lot on my mind. I understand that. But, you know, there'll be another one of these next month. Yes. But there's always a lot on my mind. Yeah. So uh, we'll spend some time at the top of the show kind of talking a little bit about what's on our mind. We will answer your questions. We we will still get to your your questions. The best way to send us those questions, if you, you want to tweet um, to AskMPU using the hashtag AskMPU on Twitter, um, those we will collect. Those all go into our super magic spreadsheet that will, will come through on Twitter. Uh, also, another great way is to send those um, in through the Facebook group because not only will we chime in and answer them, but other really smart people We'll chime in and answer them, too. So you want to get started, Katie Floyd? Yes, I want to get started uh, with some things that are they're on my mind. And um, I want to start with a tale of woe. I, I have not had a, uh, a good technology, I don't know, start to the new year, I guess, is, is what we'll call it. Um, you know, I bought this, uh, this MacBook Pro, this 2016 MacBook Pro, because I've been I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for the MacBook Pro refresh. And then this is what I got. And um, I, I wasn't real thrilled about it. And I kind of had some second thoughts that I really want to get this MacBook Pro. Maybe I just go and get an iMac and keep my MacBook Air for a while. That's probably what I should have done. Um, and, and then I immediately had to go back because it, it had a lot of issues. But then once I got the second one, themes, things, things seemed okay for a while. They, they went wild, you know, okay. And the keyboard was growing on me and I haven't had any of those funky keyboard issues that other people have. Now I, I tend to use my, my Mac docked most of the time. So maybe those are still yet to come, but you know, this has just kind of been the first Mac that I, I haven't been happier with this Mac than I was with the Mac that I had before it. Does that make sense? You know, it's like, when you get a new Mac, you're supposed to be like super happy with it. And it's supposed to be the greatest thing ever. And this is just the first Mac that I'm like, it's fine. Whatever. Not the usual joy. It's not the usual joy. And and then High Sierra came out. And I I gotta tell you, I'm I'm just not sold on APFS yet. So so what happened is um things were were chugging along. It was a Thursday night, I remember. Um We'd already recorded MPU for the week and things just like kind of weren't 
weren't seeming right. You know, the computer was laggy. It was not quite working well and, and things were just not working well, but it was doing something. So I just, you know, it's just like, you know, I'm just going to go to bed and I'm going to leave it until the morning. And then the morning I came back, it hadn't crashed. It hadn't done anything. But, I, you know, it's just like this this machine just needs to restart. Maybe that'll just kick it in the pants and, and restart everything over again. So it's a Friday morning. I restart the Mac and nothing. It it restarts. It doesn't, but it doesn't. It doesn't ever fully restart well. So I let it sit for about 20 minutes. And I finally have to force restart it, which you never like. And then it never comes back up again. Wow. And I'm just like, oh, come on. No, nothing that I do. I mean, I won't spend 20 minutes going through the whole litany with you, but I, I will tell you that I spent four hours that day trying to recover this Mac. And, and believe me, I had better things to do this day than than spend four hours trying to recover the Mac. Um, the one thing that I will tell you is that I do have a you know a clone backup that runs every night at, at 9.30. And thankfully, I'd confirmed that that clone backup had run the night before at 9.30. So I hadn't lost any data. I had a clone backup from the night before. And I, I do have Backblaze that runs, so all my, my data was stored in the cloud. So I knew that I had all my data. I couldn't boot into safe mode. I couldn't um, I, I couldn't get this, you know, I couldn't I couldn't do anything to get this machine up. So finally I tried to um, to reboot it off of a, a flash drive and and or the recovery partition and and reinstall the the OS on top. And then it looked like it worked, and then it got to the same place, and then it wouldn't boot again. I mean, nothing I could do to get this machine to boot back up. I I did everything short of a nuke and pave, because, you know, you really don't want a nuke and pave, but you really don't want to lose your data. But hours and hours and hours I spent trying to recover this machine. Could not get it to start up. Yeah, I, I honestly, Katie, I would not have spent four hours on it. I, I Even though I know all the things you're supposed to do and the magic terminal commands and all that, to me, at this point in my life, you get an hour or two into it, and I just call the Apple Store. Well, you know, keep in mind, I don't have an Apple Store here. That's right. You, you, you're like, you're like five hours from an Apple Store. Well, right? I'm, I'm like two hours from an Apple Store. Okay. And and they do nothing with these machines. You you take an Apple Store to these machines, they're they're like, you know, sealed, and so they just ship them off to the. I think the depot is in Texas. Well, no, that's not true. That's not true. They've got tools that you don't have. They can run diagnostics and find what's going on easier than you can. Yeah, maybe they can, but I called Apple Care, and you know, so the Apple Care person talked to me, and I, I gave them this, you know, ten minute litany of, okay, these are, this is the list of all the things that I, I did, and they're like, oh, hang on, you know, and there was like long pause. You jumped the list. That's good. <laughs> yeah, and and then they came back and they said, we're gonna send you a box. <laughs> I was just like, great, oh, wonderful. Uh-oh. Send me a box, um, and they're like. And it's going to take 10 to 14 days before you get your machine back. Well, what are you supposed to do in the meantime? <laughs> yeah. I mean, th- thankfully, I do have an, another Mac. I have the Mac Mini that I use at the office that, you know, I, I can podcast on and I can do that kind of stuff on. But I'm like, are you kidding me? Really? 10 to 14 days? And and maybe that's just the estimate that they have to tell you. But come on. But um so they send me the box. I get off the phone with the lady and I'm like, you know what? I, I am not going to be without this for 10 to 14 days. What do I have to lose at this point? I'm just going to nuke it. So I nuke it. I reinstall the OS. I restore for my backup. The, the thing that you're right, that I should have done an hour into this process. And it's fine. And it's been fine now for two weeks. Knock on wood. Yes. I still have the box sitting on my dining room table, by the way. So did you call Apple and tell them that, you know, you were able to get it working this time? 
I did. You want to create a record in case this continues. But I'm keeping the box just in case. Um, so my whole my whole point in this is what I think happened is there was it, it feels very software to me. It, it feels like file system level corruption. It feels like something happened in that shutdown that corrupted something very, very deep low level that it could not recover from. It would not boot into safe mode. It would not do any of those things. But why? Why? Why do these things keep happening? I mean, is it? Well, it just happens to you. Let's let's be clear. But that's got to be it. I mean, it, it it could be a failing SSD. That could be it. It could it could be just complete bad luck. Um, it it could be High Sierra, but uh, it it does not inspire confidence. Well, you know, I I read all the email that comes in on the show, and it's a lot of email. I know we don't reply to it all, but I do read it all. And I don't think I had one email written to me by a listener that had a a disk failure with the update to high Sierra. Am I wrong? Do you remember anybody writing in with a disk failure? Oh, just Google. It's there. There are tons out there. Yeah, because I I sent out um, I, I put posted in the Facebook group and I sent out tweets about this. I had at least three separate people say same thing happened to me. Exact same thing happened to me. Well, that's no fun. I'm glad it's working now. That's my tale of woe. So anyway, I, I don't know what the the solution to that is other other than I, I hate for this just to be event session of, of Katie being upset and and but but I share this for, for a couple of reasons. Number one, you, you shouldn't be me. You shouldn't spend the four hours on it. You should just nuke it early and move on. Um, number two, backups clearly saved the day because ha- knowing that I had the backup from the night before and knowing that all my data was there, you know, made the difference of this being uh, an inconvenience versus a disaster a because yeah, yeah b- because it was everything was fine when I went to bed and then when I woke up and restarted my computer it was all gone and that is how fast it can happen so that's that's really why why I share this story yeah I, I think everybody listening to this should ask yourself that if if the next time you went to log on your computer it just didn't log what would you lose and it's a nice exercise to go through. And uh, decide whether or not you need to improve your backup strategy. And and that's really why I should, because I, I, I know we'll get emails that, that pe- people will second guess what I did. People will second guess what it was. People will say that I'm complaining for the sake of complaining and I shouldn't do that. But uh, I share the story for multiple reasons. One, obviously, because I was frustrated with it. But two, because I tell you this because it can happen to you. Well, I, I do think that one thing coloring the whole story for you is the fact that you just aren't that excited about this computer. You know, it's, yeah, it is definitely, and, is. and we've talked about that at length in the past shows. So it's already tainted goods a little bit in your eyes. So you know the fact that the file system fails, it's like, oh, this too. I I understand. All right. So adding to our tale of woe, as our listeners have probably heard the difference. Um, apparently, our Skype had issues, and we lost the first part of this recording. So we apologize for the call quality being a little different in the first part of the show, but I think we're back on track now, David. I think we should make clear what happened was Katie's computer that she was complaining about did not record. Decided to eat the <laughs> Skype call. Yes. Okay. So, so I don't know. I mean, maybe that's now we're seeing artificial intelligence at work. You know, maybe Apple's got farther on us than we thought. So I'm, I'm very sorry. I offer sincere apologies to my MacBook pro. I'm not going to do anything to you. You're, you're fine. I forgive you. And let's just move forward from here. Let's just turn the page. <laughs> yes. So, um, <laughs> all right. So let's talk a little bit about what's on your mind. 
I, I don't have the tale of woe. Uh, my technology has been working okay lately, so that's good. Uh, but I am always thinking about how I use things. And I'm, I'm pretty well known for the fact that I'm a big OmniFocus user. And for years, I've used it in a specific way. I explain that in my video field guide. And, um, and I, uh, I, I rely heavily on defer dates. So I set up my tasks so I only see a certain limited number of tasks every day. I work through that list. It feels really great. Uh, but I was looking at it and I was thinking, boy, it seems like I spend a lot of time managing defer dates. And it's not really that much time, but it's enough to make me kind of like feel like I'm spending too much time. So I decided to rethink the way I use OmniFocus. That's one of the nice things about the app. Um, full disclosure, they're a sponsor, but uh, it, you can use it in a lot of different ways. It's very powerful. So I have stopped using defer dates in OmniFocus. This started in early December, and now here we are in January. And instead, I'm using, uh, you know, I've, so I've got a large list of tasks and projects. And if I look at it in the big perspective, it's going to show hundreds of tasks in there that have been uncompleted. But um, I, I rethought it and rebuilt my perspectives to show me just certain areas of my life, the areas that I want to work in. And I'm getting more careful about using um, flagged items. So I use flagged items for things that are kind of super important. And uh, as a result, my management time in OmniFocus has been reduced substantially, but I also have a bigger risk now because uh, when I was managing defer dates, I was looking at every project in relation to defer dates very frequently. So uh, it would be very hard for something to fall through the cracks. Uh, but now, since I'm not micromanaging defer dates within individual projects, I spend less time doing that. But there's a there's a bigger risk for me that I will miss something because I'm not managing that. Make sense? Okay. So now you have never been a big proponent of due dates, right? No, I uh, due dates are the devil's handiwork. Okay. So you don't you don't have any dates then on your your stuff in OmniFocus. You don't have defer dates. You don't have due dates. You except I guess on the the super important things you have due dates. Things that are truly due. You know, April 15th, pay your taxes, right? That's a due date. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, most people put due dates on things that aren't truly due dates. So the trouble with that is you open up whatever task manager you're using, you see you have 100 due dates and you ignore them all. And one of those is April 15th, pay your taxes and you miss it because it's lost in a sea of irrelevance. So by having just a limited number of due dates, they actually really stand out more. It's just like if somebody shouts all the time, then they're never really shouting. Uh, so, so that's always been a rule of mine. I don't have a lot of due dates, but I was using the defer dates or the start dates to push a lot of things out into the future. So I didn't have to see them on my list. And instead of doing that now, what I'm doing is I'm making different kinds of lists. OmniFocus has a really powerful ability to make perspectives. And I've been making a whole series of new perspectives. And I, I'm going to update the video field guide on this once I'm convinced this is worthwhile. Like, I don't want to waste everybody's time. But the, I started the experiment for two weeks, and now I've extended it to two months. And so far, I'm pretty happy with it, so, enough so that I think I can talk about it here on the show. So how I'm, I take a I use the forecast view quite a bit, you know, see what's due now, what's coming up. My guess is the forecast view for you now is completely useless then. Not necessarily. You don't have any dates on anything. Well, no, because there are certain things that do have dates on them still. And um, like, like flag tasks are the, the ones that are 
more important than others. That's the only level of priority I need is one level. So I use flags. And some of those I will defer out to a future. Like I'll have a flag task today that says, call this lawyer about that settlement agreement. And I know that I just sent him the settlement agreement yesterday. I'm going to give him a couple days. I'll, I'll defer it out two days. And that will show up in the, um, in the uh, forecast mode in that way. But, you know, other projects that don't have a priority attached to them aren't going to be tracked in that way. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. But it just seems like you're going to have a lot less now there. Yeah, exactly. When you go through OmniFocus to see what you have to do, what what are you looking for now? Are you looking for context? Are you looking at, to me, it seems like now you're going to have to look at a lot more places to figure out exactly what it is you need to do. So are you having to be more proactive about going through and making yourself a, a hit list of things to do each each day? I mean, how do you figure out exactly what your priority list is of things to tackle? Well, the priority list is anything that's flagged is a priority. And I use flags more often than I was doing it before because of this, but it's not a ridiculous amount of flags. Probably across my entire library, I have maybe 60 flagged items, and some of them will have defer dates out weeks or months away, but they're super important when they show up for me. So in that way, I'm using the flagged items, treating them the same way I treated everything before. They're getting defer dates there, but they, they stand out. When I wake up in the morning or whenever I get to doing tasks, the first thing I do is knock down every flag for the day. And if everything's going right, that's done by lunchtime. And then after lunchtime, I have all these perspectives. I have the Max Sparky perspective. I have the book writing perspective. I have the legal uh, transactional perspective or the legal litigation perspective. And I'm like, okay, I don't have any flags left. I've knocked those down. So I'm not dealing with any, you know, houses burning down emergencies for the rest of the day. I'm going to block two hours to deal with transactional law. And then I hit that perspective. And then there's a whole list of cases that have outstanding things I could do on a transactional law basis. And I just go through and snipe through that list. Um, you know, I look through it. I'm like, oh, there's one I would like to do today, or there's one I'm feeling like doing right now, or there's one that, uh, oh, by the way, there's one that I don't need to deal with for another six months. So I'll go ahead and hit a defer date on it. So I'm not afraid to use defer dates, but I'm not making it a mandatory practice. Okay. I'm looking forward to seeing the video field guide because I'm not, I'm not sure how I can, I, I guess if it gets, if it works for you, that's, that's great. I'm just not sure how to, how, how you now know what is important. Obviously the flags, I get it. I guess it depends on how many things you got, but go ahead, finish your thought. Well, I have a lot of things uh, don't get me wrong. And the, one of the reasons I did it the other way before was it really forced me to look at every project very often. And, um, and now the way I'm doing it, I'm not forced. To, if there's a project that doesn't have a flag in it, I'm not looking at it as often because it's it's not going through a, you know, assess the deferred dates for this project. So what I've done is I've re, um, reconfigured my review uh, frequencies for tasks and projects, and I'm taking review a lot more seriously now. I I really think, I think what I'm doing is probably closer to GCD Canon than what I was doing before. So I'm reviewing projects more frequently, but I'm not looking at micromanaging start dates on every task in every project or every leading task in every project. The The net result is I spend less time fiddling in OmniFocus, and I feel like I spend more time getting work done. Uh, the risk of this 
this system is that if I don't, if I'm not religious about reviewing projects, something may fall the cracks that I don't see. That's what I can see is I can just see you having uh, a whole slew of things in your list, but yet no way of knowing what has to be done next. No, but if you follow the review project process, you'll, you'll be fine. I know, I know it's a little controversial, but I think it's interesting. And, you know, why not mix things up a little bit to see how it works? I, I think it take, makes total sense for some people and it may not make sense for others, but, you know, I'm checking it out. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Smile, makers of the PDF Pen family of applications. You can learn more by heading over to smilesoftware.com slash podcast. So we are here in a brand new year and you know what that means? Yeah, it's kind of start time to start organizing all of your documents and getting ready for the new year, getting ready for taxes and all those types of things. Well, thankfully, we've got some great tools for that. And my weapon of choice is PDF Pen. PDF Pen, whether it's on the Mac, on the iPhone or the iPad, will let you do amazing things with all those PDF documents that you are going to receive or generate during this tax season. It will let you split and combine PDFs and send just the right things to your accountant or your lawyer. It will let you fill in all of those complicated PDF forms, whether they're interactive or not. You can do things like add page numbers. And my favorite, you can redact account numbers. So perhaps if you've got sensitive information like social security numbers or bank account numbers, you can redact all of that with PDF Pen. In fact, you can even search and redact for information on PDF Pen. One of my favorite uses of PDF Pen is to use the search functionality to search for maybe the first several digits of my social security number or account number and automatically redact those with PDF Pen throughout the entire document. And of course, you can use PDF Pen to perform OCR on any of your scanned documents. You just open it up, PDF Pen will automatically OCR the document, allowing you to do all kinds of fancy things with them. So if you haven't used PDF Pen before, now is a great time to try it. You can head over to smilesoftware.com slash podcast and download trial versions of PDF Pen or PDF Pen Pro for Mac. And after you've tried it out, I'm convinced that you will want to buy it. And if you want to learn about PDF Pen for iOS, well, they have got a new series of great video tutorials. Make sure you check out their new videos on PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone 3 and learn all about the new features of their iOS products. So again, get organized this tax season. Head on over to smilesoftware.com slash podcast. And thanks to Smile for their continued support of the show. All right. So another thing that's been on my mind uh, is trying to extend the life of an older MacBook Pro. So my my younger brother got himself a 5K iMac. I don't think it's the same. It's not the current generation 5K iMac. I, I think it was maybe the first. I think he got the first generation 5K iMac refurb when the second generation came back, I think is, is what we did for him. So he's got he's got a pretty nice machine on his desk, but uh, he's a teacher. So he needs to use a laptop quite a bit. And his original machine was a 2012 MacBook Pro, 13-inch MacBook Pro. And that was one of the last machine models before the unibody. It's still the machine that still has the, um, you know, the spinning CD drive in it. And the compartment to change the battery. And the compartment to change the battery. And the uh, it had a, a regular, you know, 5,400 RPM hard drive. So uh, a couple of years ago, I, I pulled the the hard drive out for him and, and put an SSD in there and we upgraded the RAM and that was a, a great upgrade for him. 
But at some point recently, uh, his hard drive died. So, and I said, well, you know, we can, we can get you a, a solid, you know, he, he only uses it really for, for word processing and is a, is a portable machine now. I said, you know, we, we can get you a, you know, 250 gig solid state hard drive for, you know, a hundred, 120 bucks. Is it, is it worth it to you for 120 bucks to, to keep this machine running? And he said, yeah, you know, probably for 120 bucks, if I can keep it running for another year or two, it's, it's probably worth it to me to have, to have this kind of machine. And it's fine for his needs because what, you know, for him, it's, it's the couch computer. It's the, you know, I'm surfing the web on it or I'm grading papers or I'm just, you know, typing up lesson plans or those types of things when I don't want to be, you know, in the office working on the, on the 5k iMac. So great. So we, we got the, the MacBook Pro, we, we flipped it open, we took the old hard drive out, put the new hard drive in, and I, I realized that uh, he hadn't been upgrading it in a couple of years. So we had this old hard drive, and I've got um, I've, I've to put a new operating system on it. So I pull out, I make each year um, a CD, or a, I'm sorry, a USB stick of the latest operating system. Because, you know, Apple doesn't sell their operating systems on, on CDs anymore. So I've got a USB stick of, of High Sierra. So I figure, all right, well, I'll, I'll, I'll boot it up from the USB stick and I'll, I'll install High Sierra on it. Does not install. Won't install. Everything we try cannot get High Sierra to install on this machine. And apparently, if you look in the Apple forums, it's kind of a, a known issue with this particular MacBook Pro. I got a, a bunch of good advice from the people in the in the Facebook forums on it, but it was just like darn, you know, one one more thing. So what I finally did, I pulled out in my closet. I had a, a Snow Leopard CD because his his system had a, a Snow Leopard hard drive, and uh, tried to install Snow Leopard on it. Couldn't get that to happen because we had already at this point it had converted the hard drive over to APFS format. Yeah, that's a problem. Ugh. So I had to pull the hard drive out of that, plug it into my MacBook Pro, reformat. Well, reformat not only reformat it, but it, it, it like install the the operating system like in target mode from my MacBook Pro to to get it onto his machine. And anyway, we got it. We got it running for him. Was the 2012 supported by High Sierra? Yeah, it was. If you, if you go back, I, I looked. I was my first. Thought. I was like, oh man, is is this machine not supported? Is that why it's not working? But anyway, we finally got it. And I'm like, you know, no mere mortal is going to be able to figure out how to do this. But um, my my point being, the things that you can do now to keep an old Mac going. And um, really how inexpensively, I mean, this is a 2012 MacBook Pro that probably has a street value of maybe a couple hundred bucks. You know, you can you could pick one up fairly inexpensively. And it's still a really good computer that will run High Sierra. Did, so did you get it up to High Sierra? Yeah, we, fi- we, we finally got it rolling. I, at this point, I kind of wished um, that we'd only put Sierra on it. You know, that we, we backed it down to Sierra. But... It's going now, so we're just going to let it be. Yeah, but you know, uh, mere mortals wouldn't be swapping hard drives either. That's the that's the thing. Well, this this machine was about as easy as you get. You just pop the bottom off and and uh, and, and put the new hard drive in. Um, but my my point being, how easy it is, you know, especially to take one of these older machines because Apple is supporting you know older hardware for longer. You know, clean it off, put an SSD in it, maybe put pop some RAM in it. You know, and for a couple hundred bucks, you've you've got a portable machine that's going to run in a modern operating system. I might put Sierra on it instead of High Sierra, but 
not not a hard thing to do. All right. I've got a couple more. Can I can I do two more? Okay, go for it. All right. Uh, the first one related to your discussion of MacBooks. Uh, you know, we went on the big trip and I have a MacBook Pro and then I have the first generation MacBook, you know, the super thin one that everybody hates the keyboard on. And I gave that to my daughter and uh, and I had bought the MacBook Pro sometime later. But in the, right now I'm I'm working really hard to try and get a new book out. So I've got an iBooks author file. And I don't want to do all the tedium. You know, the iBooks author uh, program can make you crazy. So I've got my daughter doing some of the production stuff, you know, adding the links and some of the artwork. So uh, I realized that, you know, that doesn't make sense for her on the original generation MacBook. So before we were left on our trip, I kind of, you know, tweaked out the MacBook Pro with iBooks Author and the, the all the support apps I use. Mac, you know, iBooks Author, I don't know if we should do a show on that sometime, but it, it is, there's a whole art to it. It's as much science as it is art. <laughs> but anyway, I we have... I just want to make sure you've, you've got a 15-inch MacBook Pro. Yeah. This is the, the same... I mean, I have the 13-inch model, but it's this... The, the original Touch Bar. Yeah, the Touch the Bar model. Touch. Okay, yeah. And the original MacBook. The original little... The MacBook Adorable. Yeah, which, she, which she's been using very happy with. Uh, but but we traded. So I gave her the MacBook Pro. I mean, this is probably not a permanent trade, although she may try and turn it into one. <laughs> but the... um, But, you know, because she's doing all this work in iBooks Author for me, I needed her to have a stronger computer. And I didn't really want her working on my iMac because I spend a lot of time seeing my iMac and I, you know, I just need to get my work done. So, so I set her up with a MacBook Pro. It's been going great and she's helping me a lot get it, get the book put together. Um, but I needed a laptop at the same time and we're getting ready to go on this trip. I said, well, let me just take your, your adorable MacBook. And I, I reform, I really just reformatted it for myself. We'll go back and reformat it for her if we have to later and, and set it up as my own. Uh, I don't have anything super fancy on it, but just like word processing, some blogging stuff, Ulysses, where I do a lot of my writing, you know, just the kind of the nuts and bolts stuff without anything, you know, too heavy on it. And I took it to Europe with me because occasionally I needed a Mac while I was over there. And since I got back, I've been using it too, you know, throwing it in my bike and going to this to the uh, Starbucks with it and whatnot. And, uh, you know, I like this computer more now, I think, than when I gave it to her. It, it, I guess if you don't pu push it too hard, it really isn't a bad computer. I mean, the keyboard, I know a lot of people hate it. it. Doesn't I don't really care that much, but I'm not really the person to ask because I don't get super fidgety about my keyboards. But uh, it, it's kind of interesting to me that um, using the MacBook Adorable again, uh, it, it's perfectly fine. I, I think... Um, I don't. I think one of the things I just don't use it that much because the the iPad has solved so many problems with you know iOS 11, uh, where I can get a lot of my work done on the iPad. The, the times I need a MacBook are a lot less now. Uh, I don't really have any big conclusion or announcement here, but it's just interesting to me that I was able to easily um, go down to a MacBook from a MacBook Pro without really any negative consequences. I've been thinking a lot about that MacBook. I mean, I. I can't quite figure out what I don't like about this MacBook Pro, and, and don't like is a strong word. But I really think my next computer setup is going to be a 5K iMac on my desk, and a because I'm using a, a laptop less and less, but I still feel like I need one, 
and either just keeping this MacBook Pro because at this point, it at that point, it will be, you know, several years old and probably have minimal resale value, either just keeping this MacBook Pro as a travel machine or as a couch surfer or getting a very small, what I'd like to do is get a very small, thin and light MacBook, which hopefully by that time will be a little more powerful machine um, to, to use as a device that I take on the road when I need to give a presentation, when I need to travel with something, when I want to use it on the couch, but yet can't really use iOS. I think that would be an ideal setup. And it, it sounds like you found that as well. Yeah, that's what I'm basically doing now. And uh, if she puts the moves on me to keep the MacBook Pro, I'm not sure I'll fight her that hard for it. Yeah. I hope she doesn't listen to this. <laughs> I'll send her a message after this. Um, one other thing on my mind, and then we'll move on, uh, but kind of related to the OmniFocus rethink is kind of the scheduling rethink as well. Uh, I, I did an experiment at the end of last year, and and the kind of the hippie part of this we covered on episode 39 of Free Agents, which will be coming out just a couple days after this show publishes. So if you want to hear the hippie part, go and listen to Free Agents. But um, I've been really thinking about how I work and and trying to focus my time on important work. You know, the Cal Newport book, Deep Work, is what kind of got me thinking about this. And um, and less of my time on the shallow work that's really not something I need to be doing. And I don't want to deal with a bunch of timers, but I started getting super picky about my schedule. And my schedule now, I'm for the last week, it's only a one-week-old experiment, but I've been, um, I guess, for lack of a better word, hyper-scheduling my day, you know, um, saying, okay, I'm going to wake up in such and such a time, I'm going to, you know, work for two hours on the book, and then I'm going to spend a half hour answering email. And so I'll just go through and block time out in the calendar. And it looks completely insane if you look at my calendar, all these blocks, but it's really been working well for me. Hmm. I, I like the idea of having a little more structure to your day sometimes. I'm not sure I would like the idea of hyper structuring it. Yeah, it, it doesn't take that much time. Um, if you're in either um, Fantastical or or Apple Calendar or BusyCal, all of those three of those apps make it super easy to duplicate an event. So once you start making block events, um, it allows you to kind of repeat them the next day. I, I've always had the practice at the end of the day to go through OmniFocus and take a look at the next day and kind of map out what I'm going to do uh, with this with this new way I'm using OmniFocus, what that means is what are the flagged items for tomorrow that I want to make sure I knock out in the morning? And then using the scheduling, I'm saying, you know, how much time, you know, hard time am I going to put into the various elements of my life? Say, okay, I'm going to work on the law practice tomorrow from, you know, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. And I'm going to work on uh, uh, show prep for Mac power users from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. So I'll just block time that way. And then that kind of guides me into OmniFocus during those blocks of what perspectives I'm going to spend time in. I guess this is really the other penny dropping on this rethink of OmniFocus. And um, there's some things I really like about it. Um, I don't like, you know, the spending the time to fiddle with the schedule and sometimes things will move around or a client emergency will happen and I'll have to move things around. But, uh, because I'm a nerd, it's really not that hard to move things around or delete or reschedule events. Um, I do like the idea of bringing some deliberate thought to it. Like one of the things that have come out about this, and I'm going to write a, a post about this at Max Barkey probably this week is I've just decided I'm going to block a half hour a day for email you know, for the, for the Max Sparky email bag. 
And look, that's not enough time to deal with all the email that I get. But I spent the last year spending a lot more time on email and I didn't get the books done. So I'm just going to make the deliberate decision that, you know, email gets a half hour and I'm, that's as much as it's going to get. And I have it blocked on the calendar. A timer goes off when I start it. A timer goes off when, I, when I'm up. And it makes me feel like at the end of the day, I actually got more work done. Well, in fact, I did get more work done. What happens when you get off the rails? If something happens and you end up going over or a phone call interrupts you or or whatever, is it then not like a stack of dominoes falling and everything goes by the wayside? No, not really. Because the hype, I say hyper scheduling, I'm not saying I'm going to work on uh, the Smith v. Jones case from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. I just say I'm going to do legal work from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. And then because if I've, if I've knocked down my flagged items already for the day, uh, I have a little bit of discretion over which legal work gets worked on. So if a client calls in with an emergency, that becomes the legal work. Or if I blocked the afternoon to write for the next book and a client calls in with an emergency, I just say, okay, well, I'm not going to do the writing on the client book. That, that block now turns into legal work. Um, so I, I don't have, um, I've hyper scheduled the, where, what general subjects I'm spending the time on, but not the exact tasks that I'm doing inside the ske- the uh, block. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess it does. Okay. Because they, then you don't have to go through, I understand what you're saying. If I had said, I'm going to work on case A at this time, um, and done that for the whole day and something moves around, then I'd have to remove everything. And that's, it just doesn't work that way. Um, so like my general blocks are Max Sparky writing, uh, podcast recording, podcast preparation, um, uh, legal work, you know, legal work, transactional, you know, that kind of stuff. So they're big enough, uh, categories that I can easily move them around. The, the, the more narrower subjects that have, that I've come up with, and I've only been doing this a week. So it's kind of fun talking about it this early in the, in the ball game is, uh, I have very specifically scheduled time for email. I'm not going to consider working on email for three hours to be Max Sparky work. And, uh, and, and that's a failure to me. And it's easy for me to fall into a multi-hour email hole if I want to, because it's really fun, you know, writing people, especially people that share my interests. But then at the end of the day, I still got to pay for my shoes. Well, I'll be curious to see how this this evolves for you. It, I think it's a, a, a feels a little more fidgety than than what I would want to do. I, I guess I wouldn't be opposed to some general block scheduling. My guess is you'll probably land somewhere in the middle. Well, we'll see. I think if I land in the middle, I'm just going to stop doing it because it, it kind of works hand in hand with the way I'm using OmniFocus, and um, and if I can make it work for me. And, and, you know, the proof is in the pudding. If I can do this in a way to hold myself a little bit more accountable, um, then maybe I will be able to produce more as Max Sparky this year. Then it will be worth the additional fiddliness. But if it doesn't pay off in that way, then I'm not going to do it. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go ahead and forget your passwords because 1Password remembers them all for you. Go to onepasswordcom MPU in all caps to get 20% off. 1Password is the awesome password manager that Katie and I use every day. Using 1Password, you can automatically create safe and secure passwords, and the application will keep track of them for you. So you really get the best of both worlds. You've got powerful passwords, and you've got ease of use. 
The team at 1Password has been perfecting the software for years, and the application is just full of great little features that you don't use every day, but you will appreciate every time you need them. A good example of that is travel mode. I just spent some time doing some international travel. Moreover, I've got a lot of important information kept in 1Password that I don't want to have to disclose. So before I left on my trip, I logged into my account on onepassword.com and I marked the appropriate vaults as safe for travel. Once I did that, I turned on travel mode on my profile and I unlocked one password on my device so the vaults are removed. Then I could go across borders knowing that my iPhone and my Mac no longer contained the vast majority of my sensitive information. Once I got through the international borders, I could go back on onepassword.com, re-enable the vaults, and they just reloaded like that. It takes almost no time to do, and it's a great way to protect yourself. No longer do you have to manually remove and re-add items. Like I said, you just set them as safe for travel, and then turn on travel mode, and you're good. Not only does this make sense for your family and individual installations, if you're running a team, it's even better. With a team administrator, you can have total control over which secrets that your employees can travel with. This lets you make sure company information stays safe at all times. This last trip was one of the first time I got to use this new mode, and I was just amazed at how easy it was to turn off and then back on again. But this is just one more reason why 1Password is an amazing application and everybody should be using it. To learn more, head over to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps. You're going to get 20% off any plan and you're going to have a great password manager in your life. Once again, that's onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps and take control of your passwords today. All right, we heard from Stan, how to set up photo albums on Apple TV. He says, I understand how to set up a photos album and set it as a screensaver on his 4K Apple TV. I know how to add photos to the screen. Uh, um, I'm sorry, I know how to add photos to the album on the Mac. He doesn't know how to get those photos to move to the screensaver on the Apple TV. Is he missing a step? He says, I know you're busy, but any help? So I think this is relating back to, we had a show at the end of last year where we talked about holiday tech and uh, we talked about how we used our Apple TV specifically to show family photos, to show holiday photos and those types of things. And one of the things you can do is you can set the screensaver on your Apple TV to show photos from a specific photo album. And I think what Stan is asking is, well, you know, I understand how to set up a photo album, but how do I get the photos from a particular album to display on my Apple TV? I think that's the question here. Yeah, and so you pick you pick that shared album. Well, okay. So so what you have to do is it is it works with iCloud photo sharing. So what you do is you you create a, sh- a shared item with iCloud. Uh, you make you make sure that the Apple TV is signed into your iCloud account and can access your iCloud photos. And then on the Apple TV, when you go into your screensaver, you'll see a list of all of your iCloud albums that you have access to. So you may even want to create just a generic album that you call Apple TV screensaver that you move photos in and out of. That's one option. Um, Or you can pick a specific album. If there's a specific album of family photos that you know is is the one that you want to be the screensaver on your Apple TV, you you could do it either way. And then just pick the photo album. Um, so if you pick like a generic, you create an album in photos called Apple TV, then you just put whatever photos in there. And then as you rotate those photos in and out, or as, as people add photos to that album, they'll then show up on your Apple TV. It does delay a little bit. It doesn't, it doesn't happen automa- uh, immediately. 
Yeah, but it's not a huge delay. A lot of it depends on your connection, but it, it's usually within a few minutes. Got a lot of emails and tweets from people who uh, use that technique over the holidays, and they were very happy with it. So uh, so check it out, Stan. Hopefully that helps you out. Oh, before we get off the, the holiday thing, I want to give a shout out to Magic Fireplace. Um, that was recommended by a Mac Power Users listener in the Facebook group. And I used, it was 99 cents. It was probably the best 99 cents I've spent on an Apple TV app. I have not bought a ton of Apple TV apps, but um, it's it's a fireplace app. It has a number of, of high quality fireplace themes. You know, you go through the app store and you get all these free fireplace apps and so much of them are just garbage. Uh, but Magic Fireplace, it was 99 cents. It had a number of quality fireplace scenes that you could choose from. Um, I used it for a couple of holiday parties that I, I hosted and uh, I got a lot of great comments on it, like, oh, that's really cool. How'd you do that? I, I like that you did that and just created a nice ambiance for us. Our local cable channel on Christmas Day uh, ran one of the channels with the fireplace all day, but it had puppies in it. Just puppies. Puppies in, front of the fire. in the yeah, fireplace? Puppies. That seems odd. No, in front of it. They were playing. They had little bows on. Oh, okay. They were puppies. I, uh, boy, that that's a winner. That's That's a winner. Somebody out there needs to make that app. Puppies in front of fireplace. You could have an in-app purchase like kittens, like baby pigs. You know, you go all the way with this thing. Big concept here. Uh, Hero wrote in. He is he is shocked and worried about Katie Floyd. Uh, in your small business episode, you mentioned how you store everything in generic files and folders at this point. Did you mean that you no longer use Evernote Katie Floyd as your paperless data storage and capture tool? Hero needs to know. Um, hmm. kind of. So, uh, I have started being more deliberate about my use of Evernote. Uh, and I, it's actually been several years now since I have used Evernote as my default paperless filing cabinet. I've, uh, for years now have been out of Evernote as my default paperless filing cabinet. And I've gone purely to a files and folder, uh, PDF type system for those types of things. However, I still use Evernote for storing certain types of documents. And I, tr I tried to use DevonThink. You know, we had that series of episodes with Gabe where he and I got all on the DevonThink bandwagon for a while. And yeah, I'm out. I'm off now. I'm, I'm back into Evernote. Sorry. But I try to be much more. I just found that for a while I was putting too much in Evernote and Evernote became too much of an everything bucket for me that it was becoming a, a useless bucket for me because I had everything in there and I couldn't figure out what was in there or what I needed in there. So now I'm tending to use Evernote either for specific projects or for longtime archival storage of certain types of things. So the types of things that I have in Evernote now are for like when I'm planning a trip or for a specific project. I'll put those documents in Evernote so that I can pull them up quickly and store them where I need to. But then when that project is over, I'll either completely delete the files out of Evernote because I don't need them anymore, or I'll archive them out somewhere else if I do need to keep them. Okay. When you archive them out of Evernote, how difficult is that process? Uh, for me, they're just PDFs, so I just drag them out. Okay. And, and like if you wanted to drag all of your PDFs out of Evernote, how difficult would that be? Well, I, I wouldn't want to drag all of my PDFs out of Evernote. What I would do is I would say, okay, well, these are all my PDFs. You know, For example, we're going to Chicago in March for the ABA Tech Show. So I have a folder right now set up for ABA Tech Show 
that has my presentation materials, that has the information about my speakers, that has the information about my hotel room, all that stuff I'm collecting in Evernote. I, I don't want to have a specific file on my computer with all that stuff because on my phone, on my iPad, when I'm on the go, the easiest way for me to access that is probably going to be to, in Evernote. Now, when that event is done, I would say 80 to 90% of that stuff is just going to get trashed. I don't need it anymore. I don't, I don't need a lot of that stuff, but certain things like, you know, for example, things that I'm going to save for tax purposes are going to get those, those PDFs are going to get drug out into certain places. And in that case, it's just a matter of grabbing the document on my Mac and dragging it into a specific file. Well, the re the reason I ask is, the, the impression I get from Hero and some listeners is they want to make it their paperless depository. And generally, I'm against it. I'm not sure I would do that at yeah, this point. I, just because – and the reason I asked the question, what if you wanted to drag everything out? What if tomorrow Evernote says it's now $100 a year to use our service? Or It, it is almost that much depending on – you know what plan you're on yeah we'll see there you go uh, i mean if you decide if you if you invest in evernote is there a way out completely and i don't know because i haven't put that much effort into it in in years well you've always called it the roach motel well I, it was at the beginning i think they made it a lot easier to get stuff out than it used to be but um but i, I i'm thinking because i there there may be a volume to my paperless book coming in the future not that's not my next book, but it's definitely on my list. And I'm still perplexed as to how I how I recommend Evernote because it feels to me like, um, you know, overkill and also just, you know, putting it into a proprietary system when you don't need to. I'm not sold. I, I like the way Katie's using it, but I wouldn't use it to store all of my paperless documents. You're basically using it the way I use Apple Notes. Yeah, I am. Although I am using it for a little bit more. I, I do have certain things in Evernote because Evernote search is really good. Um, I have some things in Evernote, like, for example, manuals, like the like when I bought my house. And you know how you get like a stack of manuals? Well, the first thing I did is I went on the Internet and I Googled them so that I didn't have to scan the manuals. But, you know, the manual for my irrigation system or the manual for uh, – I'm trying to figure out, but, but whatever. Uh, I, have a, I have a folder in Evernote called House, and then in there I have a subfolder called Manuals. So if I need to figure out how to rewire this whatever, there's a folder in there called Manuals. So and the way I handle that problem is I have a folder on iCloud called Records, and in that a subfolder called Manuals, and I just name them. Uh, for, you know, I give them dummy names for me, you know, something like, you know, sprinkler system manual. I'll just change it. Rather, rather than Toro X72, you know, they always have these goofy product names in the manual. I just rename it exactly what it is to my brain. And then I just type in finder and it'll go find, you know, sprinkler system manual and it'll go find it for me. Yeah. And I would tell you almost everything in Evernote for me is a PDF. So again, if I ever wanted to drag all those manuals out and put them in a folder that says manuals, that's fine. I've got them. I can drag them out and put them there. Yeah. And part of it for you is legacy. I just, I just don't know if someone came to me saying, I'm trying to decide whether I should invest in Evernote right now. Uh, it's hard for me to say yes. But I, I'm biased on this, I think. I think I've never been a fan of Evernote. So go figure. Uh, Rich wrote in with a, an interesting question. He put this in the Facebook group and it got a lot of interesting discussion. Uh, a lot of photos got posted to the Facebook group with this one. And he wants to know, how are you organizing your old stuff? 
How do you organize your unused cables, connectors, peripherals, dongles, hardware? Do you keep that stuff, and what do you do with it? All right, you first, Gibby. Why do I have to go first? Okay. I'll, no, cool. I, mean, I can't. I can't. It's fine. Um, I try really hard to to limit what I keep because otherwise it would just be uh, be ridiculous. The um, because it, it can get out of hand very quickly. What what I have and it tends to overflow for for everything that I would say is is current tech and and that is currently being used. And I say that with a little bit of an asterisk because I it's I was just thinking the other day it's, it's about time that I go through and thin this out because it's getting a little unwieldy. Um, I have in my home office, and I keep I, I went to like you know uh, the home organization store. And um, I, I had a, I have a closet in my office. And um, I, when I had a handyman here doing some work one day, I had him put shelving all in that closet. So I've got shelving all in that closet. And then I went and I got a bunch of, of bins. So I have a number of bins in that closet. And so I've got bins for like, you know, USB cables and bins for, um, you know, batteries and, um, you know, all kinds of stuff. They're, they're all in bins in the closet. And that's for, you know, what I call current stuff. Like if I, I go and I'm looking for my, um, USB-C to HDMI adapter, all, all those adapters are in a bin in the closet and all my lightning cables are in a bin in that closet. And so all those things are, are in bins in the closet. But for anything more like, all of my USB cables and all of the extra mini and micro USB cables and VGA cables and HDMI cables and all of those things for anything that I, I don't consider to be current in use tech. And like I said, I really need to thin out what's in the closet because it's getting unwieldy. Um, I organized those years ago is I just, I put on a movie one day. I, I had them all in this big, um, you know how you get like those big storage Tupperware type bins? And I had, I just had them all in there. I just had them thrown in there and you could never find anything. And so one day what I did is I just dumped the bin on the floor and I put on a movie and I started organizing through the bin and I got a bunch of Ziploc bags and I would write on them like USB, HDMI, um, you know, whatever, uh, audio cables. And I would start organizing them into piles and put them in Ziploc bags and then I would put the Ziploc bags in the bin. And once I got to like two or three of the exact same type of cable, I usually kept like a long one and a short one. And then I would get rid of the rest. I put them all in a box and I took them to my my Mac user group. And I just said, here are free cables. Everybody come after them. And most of them they disappeared. They went like a pack of wolves, I bet. Yeah, most of them disappeared. Yeah, I, I do a similar thing. I A couple of years ago, I bought a thing off Amazon. It's called Scuba Design Cable Stable. Uh, with the two O's and it's nothing but just like kind of a wallet with a bunch of elastic bands in it to put cables inside. But I look at that as my cable holder and I'm not going to really have more cables than fit in there. And I, I'm kind of picky about them when I get a really good cable or I get a new cable, I'll look at the older ones and say, is this, you know, what's the better cable? And, and I try and keep, you know, like the best cables in the scuba design. And Anytime I need one, I just pull it off the shelf, open it up, and I've got what I need. And it's easy to get to because there's not a million cables in there. Um, and anything I have left over, um, I, I do have an, a secondary bin in the garage that I keep a couple of them in that I just can't get myself to let go of. Like I have a couple of those 30-pin connectors from the old you know, Apple devices. I don't know why I'm keeping them, but I can't get myself to get rid of them. 
one day my one of my kids is going to show up with an old iPad or something. There's going to be some reason I'm going to need one of them, I'm convinced. But I just keep a couple of those. And the rest of them, I have a cardboard box I put in. And every time we have a family gathering of any you know significant size, I bring the box in. And all my brothers-in-law love to go through that box. You know, they just love it. And I don't know what they do with them all. Because I'm sometimes I'll have like 15 micro USB cables in there because, you know, I went on a binge and bought a bunch of stuff and everyone came with another micro USB cable and I just kept throwing them in the box. And I don't know what they do with them, but they take them all every time. Yeah, I try to at any given time keep a Goodwill box going in my in my closet. And then when the Goodwill box in my closet gets full, it moves to my trunk. And then that weekend I take it and it goes to Goodwill. And, um, and and then I just keep the cycle going. When the box in the closet fills up, it moves to the trunk and then it goes to Goodwill. And um, it, it can really get overwhelming. We did we did have a couple of ideas in the Facebook group. Um, first off, lots of people had Ziploc bags and bins or other plastic storage drawers. Um, lots of people had all kinds of storage containers and closets. Um, I, I would tell you, don't let it get too unwieldy. Limit, limit yourself to one bin. If it gets beyond one bin, you might have a problem. Yeah, and unless you're like Stephen Hackett and you're creating a little museum in your backyard. Yeah, and I, I'll tell you that I am very conservative. I, I think I have two micro USB cables. I mean, I guess in this in the scuba thing, I uh, I do have a separate bin for travel where I keep a dedicated you know kind of set of cables to go there. I've got a couple plugged into my Mac at all times using some of those um those uh, anchor devices where I've got you know stuck to the bottom of the desk like five usb ports and i've got a couple in there but generally i don't have a bunch of free cables and i rarely find myself not having the cable i need um tara had a really good idea in the facebook group um you know how you can get a shoe organizer typically one of those that will like go over the door and it has a bunch of pockets she cuts her cables in that nice nice i thought that was a good idea let us know your uh, magic cable answer but i think that the the real answer is don't keep that many we all have way more than we need uh lots of geeks use label makers and label their cables and label the bins that their cables go into it it can become quite a thing oh well i am all in with the cable with the label maker with the cables that are plugged into things like if you look at my ethernet hub uh, everything coming into that has a label on both sides of the cable and all the power bricks have, you know, the, the label maker can be really great if you've got a bunch of stuff plugged in. It, it allows you to just unplug everything and organize and replug in with abandon. I will tell you, I have also gotten the habit of trying to eliminate to the extent possible as many cables as I can. Um, it seems like for the most part, we've standardized on micro USB. And of course, all the Apple stuff is lightning now. So I've, I've tried to standardize on micro USB. And I have also moved myself now to the extent I, I have the Synology NAS, which is great because it's it's helped me get rid of many external hard drives. And so I just I nuke those. I multipass. I, I either multipass erase them and then give them to people who I know don't have backup hard drives. So I just hand them out like need a hard drive. Here's a hard drive. Back up your hard stuff. Here's a hard drive. Um, again, after I've multi-passed erased them, so I know they're like DOD compliant erased, um, where I just smash them if they're older and, and not reliable. And what I've done now is for um, the hard drives that I do have for when I do my, my clone drives and I want an external hard drive, I have moved those almost exclusively now to the, to the self-powered two and a half inch drives that don't need separate um, cabling. So you just have the one cable going from the drive to the USB hub. 
and you don't have to worry about power or any of that other stuff. Yeah, any external drives I buy these days are that way. I don't I don't want one with a power supply. But, but I that being said, I have more external drives than I have cables for them. You know, if I had to plug them all in at once, I'd be in trouble because I wouldn't have enough cables. But I've got a couple good micro USB cables or, you know, the various different cable sizes and whichever hard drive I'm going to use. I use the appropriate cable. When I'm done, I put it back in the scuba and just put the drive back in the drawer. I don't keep the cables with the with the drives. Now, your 5K iMac, that that has still primarily USB A, correct? Yeah. But I've got a uh, I've got a hub underneath. I if you saw the bottom of my desk, <laughs> maybe I'll post. I'm not sure I'm willing to put, post a picture of it just yet. But I have a I have a lot of really strong Velcro, and I have Velcroed hard drives, uh, USB hubs, uh, powered USB hubs. It's just it's crazy underneath there. <laughs> it's like uh, everything looks great on top of the desk. Below the desk, there's a lot of stuff going on down there. There's um. I've linked to it before because I had it on my prior desk, but I don't have it on this desk. But I saved it when I got rid of my prior desk, so I may install it on this desk. But IKEA makes a cable management system that's like a tray that fits under your desk that you can put stuff on. Yeah, I had that on my old desk, and it doesn't really work with a new desk. And and the way I'm doing it, it works fine. Everything is tied up pretty well, and and I have that really heavy Velcro, and I just stick it to the bottom of the desk and then stick the other piece to whatever thing i'm sticking it to and i haven't had anything falling off and my desk goes up and down so it's moving so i have to really kind of make it connected to the desk whatever i'm going to do i can't have it freestanding um and then the other thing is uh cable management for the cables that are on your desk i i believe in um you know there's i guess i don't know if there's a holy war between do you, are you a velcro or are you a zip tie person would, you, would If you use Velcro, you get to, you know, reuse it, but then it can also catch little dust bunnies. Um, if you're zip ties, you can be, buy like a thousand for $3, but then you're having to cut and, you know, re-zip them when you're, when you're done with them. But uh, whatever, whatever you choose to use, I, I make very liberal use of them everywhere and have everything all neat and tidy and zipped up and no stray cables. Which gets back to the label machine, because if you label the power supply plus the other end of the power cord, and if you label every device and every cable going back and forth, and I know it takes a while, but you could do it while you're listening to a good podcast, you know, <laughs> and um, if but you, once you have those labels on it, it's just it, it frees you because I don't know what it is about cables. You, you'll make everything really nice and then come and look at it two months later and it's turned into a rat's nest again. Um, sometimes it's because you move things around a little bit and everything just gets messed up. But I think sometimes it just happens when, it, like if I, if I made everything pretty and just left the house for two months and I came back, it still feels like the cables would be a rat's nest. I'm not sure how it happens. Maybe little gremlins come out at night and rearrange my cables. But, uh, every once in a while, just unplugging and rewrapping and replugging things in is very satisfying for me. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by the Omni Group. You can learn more about their famous suite of productivity products by heading over to omnigroup.com. So what do you want to accomplish this year? Do you want to go back to school? Get better grades? Write a book? Start a new project? Whatever your goals are, Omni Outliner from the Omni Group can help you achieve them. And the Essentials version of their Outliner is available now for just $9.99. Omni Outliner 5 Essentials is simple and distraction-free. 
It has a full screen mode that is designed to keep you focused on your work. You can make the toolbar disappear. You can zoom in on your documents so that everything stays readable. You can even turn on typewriter mode so your work stays focused and on the center of your mind. Your documents are sure to stay with you wherever you go because they sync using omnipresence between any Mac and iOS device, and their sync service is open source so that you can install it on any server that you can control. And if you need more power, well, then there's a pro version that's available for you too. The pro version includes things like automation, customizable keyboard shortcuts, saved filters, the ability to export to multiple formats, and a whole lot more. Whether you just need to get your ideas out on paper, or whether you truly need a professional outlining app, Omni has something for you. The Essentials version of Omni Outliner starts at just $9.99, with upgrades available from any previous version of Omni Outliner starting at just $4.99. And if you need more power, you can upgrade to the Pro version, which is available for with upgrades starting at just $29.99. So to learn more, head over to omnigroup.com and check out Omni Outliner and get all of your ideas organized this year. Um, so David, we do have um, yet more listener feedback about our home automation show with Robert Spivak. I think that's probably been one of the most popular shows that we did last year. Yeah, a lot of people are really interested in it. Where The technology is getting to a point where it's, it may be worth getting on board. I, I, I really think it is. I think we're getting to a point. And, you know, home automation seemed to be, again, uh, Amazon Echo was the darling of CES this past year. But anyway, we, uh, we heard from John, who wanted to talk about home automation using smart light and switches. Now, you and I have been talking a lot about the Lutron Cassetta switches, which I am still a huge fan of. I'm slowly in the process of uh, every month, I think I'm doing another one. So I'm slowly in the process of switching out my, my whole house. Uh, but John likes the um, light switches from Elgato and iDevices. He say have worked very well for them. Um, he said both manufacturers make quality devices that work well with HomeKit and other HomeKit-related products. And unlike the Lutron products, neither of them require a hub. He says Elgato makes a single-pole on-off smart light switch, which runs on Bluetooth LE and does not require Wi-Fi. And iDevices makes a single and multi-pole white light switch. And if you're not familiar, multi-pole is like if you've got a light switch at the top of the stairs and the bottom of the stairs, and they both – yeah, it's a three-way. And they both – um, control the same light above the stairs. That's what you've got a multi-pole switch um, that connect to Wi-Fi and currently offers on-off functionality, but does not quite support dimming. So, you know, this, this brings up um, uh, an interesting thing with all of these home kit devices, you know, Wemo finally, 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 came out with their HomeKit hub. They, I, I think it's probably been ready for a little while. They finally announced it again at CES this year, and it was shipping. I put my order in, I think at, at 6 a.m. the morning it was shipping, and I, I got mine that same week. So I've got mine, and it's it's added to my, my HomeKit. And I've been very happy with it. It did exactly what I wanted it to do, which I had invested very heavily in the Wemo line of switches for um, – for the outlets, you know, the outlet switches that you can plug devices in. And so finally, all of those are now HomeKit enabled for me. And it and it did a nice setup and it worked well. But what I realized is I'm now having 
all of these hubs that I have to plug in. I've got Lutron Cassetta's got a hub. My garage door opener has now have a hub to make it HomeKit compatible. You know, the Hue has a hub. Um, hang on, there's one more in that box. I mean, I've just got about four hubs now for these little add-on dongles to make things HomeKit compatible. Which is another excellent use for your label maker. It is an excellent use <laughs> so, for my label maker. If you don't get a label maker by the end of the show, I don't know what's wrong with you. What is your preferred label maker? I've got one, but what? Uh, you know what? I just bought one. I, I don't even know what the brand is, but it works fine. I've just got a, a handheld Dymo label maker. I don't have anything fancy that. Yeah, I think that's mine too. That connects. Yeah. To, it's like 20 bucks, whatever. But what I found is that I, I originally put all of these hubs in my networking closet with all of my networking equipment, but I found that they weren't reliable because the, the Wi-Fi and the networking equipment was interfering with the Zigbee and the other waves that the hub stuff was working There's on. There's a lot of radio in there. Yeah. There's all kinds of radio going on in there. Well, that's one of the things Robert talked about. Lutron has a, I think it's a separate bandwidth, which is one of the reasons why I felt like it worked better for me. They're at a different frequency than everybody else. So I, I have kind of this interesting hack. I, I swear when I die and somebody, you know, moves me out of the house, they're going to look at this and go, what did this woman do? Um, I ended up, I, I have a couple of Wi-Fi, a couple of Ethernet drops around my house. And one of the drops is actually behind my China cabinet because that that could be, you know, where it could also be where TV goes in that room. I was going to say, you might want to, you know, have Xbox and find China. No, you never know. So I, I have this Ethernet drop behind my China cabinet, and there's power behind the China cabinet because the China cabinet plugs in because it has you know a little light feature. So what I did is uh, the China cabinet's pretty low to the ground. I I got a um, you know a copy paper box. I got the top of a copy paper box, and I flipped it upside down. And I so I'm like I'm using it like a tray, and I put all of those little hubs along with a. Um, along with a an ethernet hub and a um a, a power strip in that copy paper box so that it would keep all the cables together and you know got everything all zip tied up and um slid that box under the china cabinet the box top so that when you looked under the china cabinet you could kind of see that there was something under there but it just looked solid you couldn't see a lot of you know, wires, wires hanging out. And so under my China cabinet, there's, there's one little ethernet wire going behind this China cabinet that plugs into the, 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 the switch, the ethernet switch. And, and then there's power down there and underneath the China cabinet are all of those little boxes for all those little hubs. Makes sense. I don't have a problem. They've been working okay with me near my Eero base station. And uh, I've just left them there. But I, I do have a lot of the things and they have, uh, they have it's like they've multiplied over the last couple of years. But, uh, you know, what can I say? I, I think with respect to the original comment about the Bluetooth versus the Wi-Fi switches, uh, make sure you try them. If you buy them, buy them from somewhere that you can return them. Uh, I, I didn't use the Elgato, which is which was recommended by the listener, but there was some other third party making them on Amazon, the single pole uh, Bluetooth switch. And I bought one of them, installed it in the house. And if I got more than like 10 feet away from it, the Bluetooth just wasn't working. And I don't know if it was the radio frequencies in my house or it was just a lousy switch, but I, I returned it because, um, you know, it wasn't working from a distance at all. And I know with some of the Bluetooth, that can be a problem. 
Uh, but you're, so you're liking your Lutrons. That's good. I'm liking my Lutrons, and I'm I'm liking the uh, the Wemo at every not everything now, but pretty much now. The the Wemo was the big holdout to my to my dual HomeKit and Amazon Echo system. Uh, we also got a note from Andres about home entertainment. I guess we could say he worked for Bang and Olufsen for a while, so he's got a lot of experience with the home entertainment stuff. And uh, to him, the TV is the central hub and the brain for everything. And then you can have your TV that integrates with your AV, kind of a more traditional model, I think, with the way a lot of the stuff is supposed to work. Yeah, you you always with those, don't you have like a big receiver that is the hub for everything? Well, traditionally you did, but I would I would hope that, you know, now the TVs will have some of that built in. The nice thing about that is you can control it from the TV remote control. I, I remember years ago, um, you know, when my dad first got his big, you know, s- system, you know, he had this big AV receiver that was connected to the TV, that was connected to the, the CD player, that was connected to the DVD player, that was connected to the surround sound. And it was a nightmare to hook up and, and all of those things. But I think a lot of the more more modern systems um, are, are a lot more sleek, a lot more centralized. And then you just click a button and you tell it, okay, well, now we're playing our Blu-ray. Now we're playing our Apple TV. Now we're, now we're playing through our sound system and those types of things. And, and what Andreas was saying is that traditionally this was like a $10,000 investment just to get the TV. I mean, these things were very high end. And that's just not true anymore. All these things are coming down in price. So if you want to look at driving the whole thing from your TV, that could that could make sense. It may be easier for some of the, you know, the novices in your family to use. I mean, we have the Sonos. My family gets Sonos about half the time if they want it to play. I mean, the reason we call it the jazz button is because I use it way more than anybody else. We had Al who wrote in to talk about um using OpenHab. That's at openhab.org. Um, he says it solves a lot of the unique issues that we covered, but also adds some possibilities. And what it does is it allows all of these devices to talk together and it supports more than 70 platforms. So what you do is you you install OpenHab on something um, like a Raspberry Pi or a Synology or on a Mac or a PC. And it's kind of this central hub that will connect your HomeKit devices or your um, Alexa devices or those types of things. And um, so, for example, he says he's got a, a call that says his home um, OpenHab tells him of incoming calls with a Prowl notification or he has a script that notifies him if any external doors are open after 10 p.m. and every 30 minutes thereafter. So it, it's it's basically a way of of linking all of these services together if you have some kind of server in your house that is that you can use to constantly monitor these types of things, which a lot of us do now. Yeah, I think something that came out both from this email from Al and even some of the stuff Robert was talking about is you can go deeper with this stuff. I mean, I think both Katie and I have chosen kind of not to. Uh, I just don't want to get that fiddly with it. And the home kit rules now are powerful enough for me. But uh, if you'd like, you can go a lot deeper with this stuff, especially if you involve a Mac or some of this open source software where you you can really make the, uh, you, you know, your house, you know, cook the toast and butter it for you at two in the morning. Hey, did you see that um, that robot that claims to fold your clothes at CES? No, I didn't. It's, um, uh, first off, it does not work well. As you would imagine, most of those things do not work well. And it's quite expensive, um, but it's still kind of freaky. And 
why are you going to need your clothes if the robot ends up murdering you anyway? Exactly. That's probably true. Yeah. You know, it's like hum- humans keep unfolding the clothes. So what would the robot logic say about that? You know, let's just, let's just nip this problem in the bud right here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, the, um, uh, unrelated to home automation, we had a couple other uh, things people writing in about um, with respect to the wait, didn't we just have a note here? I think we lost one in the outline. Uh, it was one we'd done before. We got a we got a note from Elliot about our um, a geek guide, sh- a, g- a gift geek guide show. Um, we had talked about the convenience of having a magnetic car mount versus the convenience of wireless charging. We're seeing a lot more wireless charging solutions pop up. Um, and we're seeing a lot of these charging solutions pop up in the car, which surprised me. And and we were talking about, you know, to use and I want to talk a little bit more about Qi charging because I've I've really wholeheartedly dived into Qi charging. But one of the, the issues with Qi charging is is you have to be careful because if you have a thick case or if you have certain types of covers on your phone, um, Qi charging isn't going to, to work. And for a lot of these magnetic charging solutions to work, or I'm sorry, for a lot of these magnetic mounts to work, you have to put a metal plate either between your phone and the cover, or there's actually a metal plate in the cover. And that's not going to allow a lot of these charging solutions to work. Um, well, Elliot said he found um, that if he put the metal plate for his magnetic mount down at the very bottom of this case, that it did not interfere with magnetic charging at all because the inductive coils are in the center body of the phone. Um, and that the phone is light enough that there were no p- problems with it being held at the bottom. Um, so we passed that along. I, I, I guess uh, I'll tell you very candidly, I don't know how Qi charging works and the magnetics for the principles and all of that involved. I, I guess, should I still be a little concerned about having this magnetic plate on my iPhone next to the charging cables though? Coils? I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, it would make me nervous, but okay. Um, but speaking of Qi charging, uh, I love it now. I I got for Christmas. Um, it, I put it on my my Amazon wish list, and my my brother bought it for me. Uh, this Rav Power Dock that Marco Arment mentioned on a ATP a few weeks back. And basically what it is, is it's a it's a dock that supports fast charging. It's a Qi charger. But it's it's pretty small profile, so that when I set my iPhone on it, I really don't see the dock. Um, it basically it's it's not a big wireless charging dock. It's because um, some of the wireless charging docks are even though they're tilted upward, they're still pretty big. But it's a it's a wireless charging dock that that sits upright. So I've replaced all of the docks on my desk, both at my my home and at the office, with these RAV power docks. Ra- RAV? How do you spell it again? R-A-V, RAV power. They make a lot of iPhone type accessories. Um, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And um, I just set it on there and it, it keeps my, my phone charged all throughout the day. And it sets it up nicely so that I can just look at it to um, unlock it with Face ID. And I like it for for my desk. I like the dock that sits up the phone as opposed to having it lay down flat on a cheat charging mat. Yeah, I've got on my desk for some time. I've had one of these. Um, I forget which one it is here. Let me look it up. Elevate. I have the elevation dock, you know, which has the micro suction cups and it has a built in lightning, you know, stub at the bottom. And you just have to kind of land it in there. I've always used that on my desk and I use the cheat uh, charging on my uh, nightstand. 
but but this one uh, takes the necessity of lining up the um the lightning port you just set it on there and it it charges wirelessly nice yeah so um it's great there's no lightning port to line up it just sits there uh, I kind of like not having to plug in the lightning cable all the time. You save a lot of wear and tear on that. I still do have um, you know, one of those iHome docks at at my at my bedside that I plug it into every night. But that's really the only or in my, in my car for CarPlay, I plug in my phone. But those are really the only two places now that I'm plugging in my phone. So I have these Rav Power Qi chargers at my desk, and then um, uh, at my desk at home and at my desk at the office, and then in my um, living room. I have a flat Qi charger um, on my side table. And so what I found is just the, the you have to think about where is it that I normally set down my iPhone and that's where you put a Qi charger. And now is the, is the one that you got a uh, charge at the higher rate? I know there's different rates of charge. Yeah, it does. It does. And in fact, I was on a um I was on a trip recently. I I have I have 3 chi four. I have four I've picked up now four chi chargers. I have two on my desk, one that I keep out. And then there was one I think I picked up that little anchor puck charger that you have that is that does not support the faster charging. Um because it was on sale for a, you know, an Amazon Lightning deal it was like 10 bucks by the time you were done with it. But I picked that up and I just popped it in my travel bag because I was I was traveling for the last week for um, for a thing for um, for one of my my work things, and um, I was in a hotel and I I just I she charged on the bedside at the hotel, which was great because then it kept the speakers free. I just set it there at night. I was able to listen to podcasts and do all that stuff. Um, I I I am sold on the wireless charging, and I initially thought it was a gimmick. Well, you know, removing just that little extra work of lining up the power cord is uh, that has value when you do it three or four times a day. I got a soft topic with that. Um, we did get a note from uh, Chris about uh, gift lists. We talked about creating gift lists for the holidays. Um, and Chris says we create a Google. I think this is amateur traveler, Chris, isn't it? I believe so. All right. Hi, Chris. Uh, I don't know. We cleaned it out. You know, the, the link is short as we pulled into the outline, but I think it was Chris, yes. We create a Google Doc for each person and what they want and whether that has been taken by someone else, by someone else. Some of these have links to their Amazon, Amazon gifts lists, and then we share it with the right person and not the person whose list it is. And then people track what ideas are taken and then add new ideas as they come up. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by SaneBox. Clean up your inbox and get your life back and remember what free time feels like. Go to SaneBox.com slash MPU and get $25 off today. Email is hard and it needs to get better. The trouble is where exactly does email get better? If it's through extra features and third-party applications, then you've got to make sure that application is on every device you need and that it's going to continue to be supported and stable. SaneBox has a better solution. SaneBox makes your email more powerful in the cloud. When you sign up for a SaneBox account, you get all sorts of power tools over your email that can be used in any email application. There's a lot to SaneBox. It can automatically sort your email for you. It can allow you to defer email until a later date. They even have some really cool features like the Sane black hole where you can send an email and it will block any future email from that sender. But one of the features I love the most is Sane Reminders. 
let's say you're sending off an email to somebody important and you want to keep track as to whether or not they reply. Now, normally you'd have to create a task in your task system or tie a string around your finger or do something silly. Not with sane reminders. With sane reminders, you just blind copy that email to some period of time at sanebox.com, like one week at sanebox.com. Now, if that person doesn't reply to you in a week, sanebox sends you a note and lets you know, hey, they didn't reply. You need to do something about this. I have fully automated this process. I use uh, sane reminders through workflows on iOS. I also use text expander snippets to create these reminders. And the bottom line is, a lot of emails I send out related to my work get sane reminders. It's the perfect way for me to keep on top of this stuff without having to spend a bunch of time micromanaging it. And it's all possible because of SaneBox. If you don't believe me, try it out for yourself. Go to SaneBox.com MPU. You get a 14-day free trial so you can see exactly how easy this is to do. And on top of it all, if you decide to sign up, they're going to give you a $25 credit on any plan. That's one of the best discounts they give, if not the best discount they give anywhere. They do that because they love the Mac Power users. Audience, you guys are great and perfect for SaneBox. So go check it out at sanebox.com slash MPU and take control of your email today. All right, uh, some general questions and comments. Uh, I talked about my scheduling earlier and uh, kind of related. Dan on Facebook wrote it and he says he's heard the topic come up on MPU a couple of times about how to handle a tentative meeting or event. I do it with a question mark. When I send uh, Katie an email, it says, you want to do a phone call tomorrow at 2 p.m.? I will create an event at 2 p.m. tomorrow with a question mark in front of it that says call with Katie. And the, the question mark is magic to me to say, okay, uh, I have proposed an event at that time, but I have not heard back from her yet. And that way I've got the time saved, but I also know that there is not a, an actual event scheduled. But the, the reason I do that is because before I wasn't adding that question mark event, and then somebody would call me two hours later and say, hey, can you talk tomorrow at 2 p.m.? And I'd say, sure, because I'd look at my calendar and it wouldn't be full and I'd have already forgot that I'd proposed the time to Katie. And then Katie would write back and say, hey, tomorrow at two is perfect. That's the best time for me in the next two weeks. And then I have to write her back and say, well, sorry, I've already, you know, calendared over it. So that's kind of the way I do it. Um, uh, how do you do calendar holds, Katie? I'm not sure I remember. Dan says Katie holds her calendar for no one. There you go. Good for Katie. Good for Katie. There you go. That's what I do. No. Um, no, I do what you do. I, I, I use the question mark. However, I will tell you, I very rarely do this. I, I only do it for, I, I am limited. I, I, I hold my calendar for a few people, but I generally will not, you know, if it's like one of these group scheduling things, I'm not going to hold a tentative event for a bunch of people. I'm going to wait until it gets closer to the time. I probably do this daily because I am, I have the way my law practice is, I represent like 150 companies and I always have clients that want to schedule calls. No, you, you got, no, get Calendly. You just got to say, nope, here's my calendar, schedule it. No, because I almost want to, I don't, I don't want to turn it over to Calendly. Um, but that's, that's a whole nother discussion. But anyway, I mean, the way I do it, I'm the one that's usually proposing the time. Uh, you know, I, just because I have a block of two hours tomorrow, that isn't booked doesn't mean I want to have a, an appointment tomorrow during those two hours. I may decide to book it on something else in the meantime, but either way. So that's how I do it. Uh, but uh, Dan had different thoughts. He has a special calendar called tentative and he schedules his potential meetings on that calendar and he can hide and show it 
as needed. And so he'll put it in as tentative. And then later, uh, I believe he will change the event off tentative to one of his dedicated calendars once it's no longer tentative. And that, that makes as much sense as any other way to do it. I can't stress enough how important it is to try to keep these to a minimum, because otherwise you will just let other people control your day. And I, I can't do that. See that, but see, to me, something like Calendly is, is, is really turning over that time to someone else to pick. I, like, I, I just made an appointment today. We're recording this show on the 17th of January. And the, and the guy said, when's your next available time? I said, January 31st, you know, because that's when I have time. And if, you know, you can't wait that long, then I'm not your man. And that, that's the way I control it. I see it. Then I'm just, I guess I'm more strict about, I'll only do calls between this time and this time. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know maybe I'll try that this year. I, I guess if I did a very strict thing, that might work. But the, um, uh, also a lot of my clients there, you know, these are business guys who aren't necessarily nerds. I'm not sure they would even, if I told them to go log onto a website to schedule a call with me, they'd even figure it out. All right. Uh, stuff we're playing with. Katie, what's uh, what's new in uh, the Katie Floyd world of technology? Yeah, I got a, a, a very nice sleep. Yeah, so my MacBook Pro that's been giving me some trouble. Um, I did decide to pamper it a little bit um, and, and show it some love, which is why I'm very upset at its recent behavior. But I did give it some love. I received a woolnut cover. Um, which is a super slim, luxurious leather sleeve for my MacBook Pro. I don't know if you've had a chance um, to see these at all. No, I'm looking at it right now. It looks very, it looks very similar to the one at the Apple Store. You know, the one for yeah. Remus is a um, he's a listener of our show. And, oh, really? You know, these were kind of inspired by the you know the Apple, and and he heard us talk on the show about you know I saw the the iPad covers that Apple made. I really wish they made something like this for the MacBook Pro. And he said, "Well, actually, I do." Um, and, and he said, if you want to try one, I'll, I'll be happy to send you one. So, so full disclosure, he, he sent this to me, but it's, they're great. Um, he sent me, I asked him to send me a black one. He sent me a black one. Um, and they are custom made to fit. So they've got them for the 15 inch, the 13 inch, the MacBook Air 13 inch, the MacBook 12 inch. Um, but they are super, and, and they come in uh, a gray or, um, a brown, or I'm sorry, a black or a brown leather. And they are uh, super high quality leather, so you know you're getting a good thing when you when you open it from the from the packaging and the envelope, and you can immediately smell the leather. And then they've got um, a wool padding on the inside, so it will keep your it will keep it nice and warm. So in some ways, it's actually better than Apple's cover, which doesn't have padding. Um, it will keep it warm and snug, and it is just a uh, a really pretty cover. Um, and I, I put my MacBook Pro in there and stuck it in my bag. And I, I've got other sleeves that I use with my MacBook Pro, you know, when I throw them in a backpack or something like that. But this is just something really nice to put in your briefcase when you're, you know, taking your MacBook Pro to work or if you're taking it out and people are going to see it, you know, and you just want a nice thing. Um, I've been really happy with it. And it's less expensive than the Apple one. <laughs> it's certainly less expensive. Than, well, but it's something that Apple doesn't make. I mean, Apple makes this for the, I think they make it for the adorable, but they don't make it for the other one. And he's got some other stuff. He makes it, um, he makes some cases for the, the iPhone 7 and 8 uh, wallet case. But um, 
Hopefully he adds iPad Pro to the list. Well, the iPad Pro Apple makes a case for, you know. I know, but I'd like a walnut one. I like the idea of, of wrapping it in loving wool. And leather. Yeah. So it's the best of both worlds. And it doesn't add a lot of bulk. So, yeah, I've been really happy with that. Uh, so my new gear this month, I bought some, I spent some money on my podcast gear. Uh, it's been a long time since we talked about podcast gear on the show. But the, the um, uh, I got a used uh, uh, USB Pre 2. It's the preamp of the gods. Everybody that is really into this has this preamp. They're super expensive. It's like 800 bucks to buy it new. I got a used one at a very good discount. And it has it dramatically increased uh, the the level of my microphone, which makes it easier for the people that help us out with the show. And just in general, it, it improves the sound coming out of this thing. So I'm really happy with that. And since I upgraded that, I decided uh, I was using a, um, a foam pop filter for years and it wasn't really doing the job. I was listening to our show and I could hear my piece popping once in a while. So I bought a fancy new pop filter too. And I bought a, um, a, a physical mute switch after my cold, after the epic cold of 2017. But, uh, it, and the, uh, the mute switch I bought is the Rolls one. It's on Amazon and it's great. And I, I feel like I, I'm a real podcaster now. I have, you know, all the gear. Good. Well, we'll look forward to seeing what kind of, what kind of difference that makes. I'm, I'm glad about your pod, new podcasting gear. Well, I've, I've always had a pretty good mic. It's the um, uh, Shure 80, Beta 87A, which is, I think, an excellent mic for someone that wants to get into podcasting. But it, it it's an XLR mic. So, like, I can't use the Shush app that Katie uses because I have to go through a board. And, the, the you know, I, I had a good board before, but this new one is just perfect for what I'm doing. I'm really happy with it. Uh, I have a second bit of gear I want to talk about. Uh, I talked about on the show for months about how I wanted for Christmas. Was all I wanted was my Sphero R two D two, and my family loves me, and I have one. So of course you do. He's all sitting right. on my desk. So what does he do? He does everything. He's great. The center wheel drops down. You can drive him around. But what I like best about him is I just open the app up. And then keep it running on the iPad. You know, I have the iPad kind of to the right of my iMac while I'm sitting at my desk. And R2 just like randomly beeps once in a while. It's not constant. It's just enough to like be my little buddy while I'm working. Does he run around the desk? Does he follow you around the house? That's the beauty of it. Uh, when he's on the desk and I have the app open, if I'm not physically driving him, he just stays in one spot. So it's great. I don't have to worry about him driving off the edge of the desk and, you know, getting into trouble. I, I I had a feeling this was in your future. Yeah, it's great. I love it. So satisfied. <laughs> I'm so easily pleased. Ned, do you do you have the BB-8? Yeah, they gave me the BB-8 several years ago. Actually, two years ago when the um when the other when the when the Force Awakens came out, and there's even a setting where they can talk to each other, which is is even more delightful. Oh, so you can have like R2 and BB-8 on your desk, and they can just go back and forth, go at it. Yeah, they, they'll just talk to each other. And the, the interesting thing is the BB-8 doesn't have a speaker in it. It's just the traditional Sphero ball, which doesn't have a way to play sound. But when they talk to each other, R2 plays the BB-8 sounds. And since they're sitting next to each other, you can't tell. So I get BB-8 sounds out of R2. Aww. Yeah, it's kind of sweet. It is kind of sweet. Well, Katie, I think we did it. Yes, yes. That's a, another MPU Plus in the can. 
Um, we do want to take a moment and thank our sponsors for this episode. That is Smile, One Password, Omni, and SaneBox. Uh, we're going to try to do these shows a little more frequently, so as we uh, as share some of the stuff with you that's that's on our mind. If you like the new format, let us know. If you don't, well, you can let us know that too. Uh, you can send us feedback through the Facebook group um, or through Twitter. The show is at Mac Power Users. I'm at Katie Floyd, and David is at Max Sparky. See you next week. <laughs>